Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm joining you today with Tara Brandner. Tara is a nurse practitioner, she's a fertility coach, and she's a strong advocate in the space of women's health, specifically in infertility. Tara shares with us her story of infertility followed by traumatic pregnancy and how her story has led her to becoming such a strong advocate in the space, how she recognized gaps through her own pain, and how she's now transforming that into hope for others. We talk a lot about how to begin advocating where you're at, and also why it's so necessary for providers to become more collaborative, and to help empower patients to be their own advocates of care. There's a lot in this episode, you don't want to miss it. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hey, Tara. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for taking time. I I think we've been trying to coordinate this now for two months. (laughs) Yes. Divine time. (laughs) Oh my God. And I'm so glad we both persisted, never gave up, gave ourselves grace, like you said earlier when we were chatting about just being busy and getting to it eventually. I think we all can understand each other there, eh? Absolutely. Yes. So thank you so much. So let's get into it. Tell us about yourself, who you are, what you do, anything else you want to share. Yeah. So I am Dr. Tara Brenner. I'm a doctorate nurse practitioner, recently turned a fertility coach as well. I also practice in rural healthcare. So I practice at five different rural healthcare clinics. I work at two different hospitals with ERs and and, um, nursing home access. So I kind of do a lot of different things in that aspect too, as a nurse practitioner and utilizing skills. I work in a full scope of practice state, which is wonderful. And so 
that's been really rewarding as well. And my shift in my career happened because of my own personal journey when I was diagnosed with infertility as a healthcare provider walking through that diagnosis and seeing so many missing links and gap holes and just things that could be improved. It just, it hit me at one point and I was like, okay, what can I do? And, you know, where do I fit in? And in the middle of our treatments, I took, we took a timeout, we took a pause. For those that don't know, infertility is extremely isolating. Um, It has this huge mental health uh, component to it. And we had just hit a point where it was time to just stop the treatments for a while. And in the meantime, I had been accepted from the American Association of Nurse Practitioners and their Health Policy Fellowship Program, which is amazing, highly recommend it. Um, And I shifted my time and energy into spending a month in Washington, D.C., working on advocating for nurse practitioners and advancing our role in the healthcare field. And it was super rewarding. Little did I know how it would help me fast forward then about two years. Mm -hmm. And we had no insurance coverage for the diagnosis of infertility. For those that don't know, infertility impacts one in eight. The cost is the number one barrier to care. In my opinion, it's a healthcare disparity. And so after we had had our son, I went through IUIs, uh, I should back up. I went through miscarriage, IUIs, IVF. And then we went through a traumatic pregnancy. It wasn't like, oh, I have infertility. Oh, I'm pregnant. Now life is fine. It was very traumatic the entire time. And then let alone a bleed at 32 weeks with a helicopter ride. It just kind of put some different things into perspective personally for my health and um, as a medical provider. And so Um, Once our son was born, I had wanted, you know, I had this advocacy experience, um, worked at the state level as well here in North Dakota um, with that. But I was like, okay, what can I do to help others going through this? And so I had brought forward legislation in 2019 in North Dakota um, to add infertility benefits and fertility preservation, which is 90% of the time cancer patients preserving their fertility for treatment. Mm-hmm. And I did that again in here in 2001. So it's an ongoing thing. Started a nonprofit. There was no nonprofit. There was no resources. I just wanted to connect with others when I was going through this. I feel like I had nobody, you know, in person. I had found some people on, you know, social media, Facebook groups, Instagram that I have still talked to to this day. But I wanted that in-person connection. And so I started a nonprofit. We are now North Dakota, South Dakota based. We do support groups, grants for medical expenses, care packages, advocacy work, um, just really, truly anything to help advance awareness that infertility is a disease and that, you know, we're here for those going through. We do some conferences, things like that. But then again, my life pivoted um, in May of uh, 2001, and I unexpectedly lost my job in my hometown due to budget cuts from COVID. And I had been there, you know, nine years, dedicated myself to the facility. And I had, I, it was completely unexpected out of nowhere. And that was when I sat back and I was like, what just happened? I had um, just started a fertility coaching business uh, nationwide prior to that. 
uh, about six, six months prior to that. So I had a dip my toes and I think it's really hard to become an entrepreneur when you're in the medical field. Cause it's not something we're like trained on. Mm-hmm. We don't know about it. We haven't had the, the quote classes like mm-hmm. that you think you need that you don't really need to be an entrepreneur. And it's just really scary water sometimes to be in. And so I just had felt that as a professional, I could be doing more, even more to help people going through infertility. And so then when this job change happened, um, naturally, I pivoted and I started a telemedicine business. Mm. And um, so that's been amazing. It is fertility focused. However, I it's also women's health focus. In addition to acute care visits, I've shifted into that weekends, you know, after this, I got a, I got a quick acute sick visit happening. And so it's just been, you know, if one thing that happened through all of this, it was, you know, learning how to pivot and learning how to grow when life serves you something that maybe isn't fair Mm -hmm. and it isn't fun to go through, but you sit and you take your, take your time, take your moment. And you, you think, what can I do? You know, what, what next? Because I'm not going to let this win. You know, I'm not going to let the hurt win from that. And so I've kind of, it's all fertility, of course, focus, right. But really it's awareness based and the power of sharing your story. Because if we back up when I was first diagnosed with infertility, I didn't tell anybody until I had failed. So I had a miscarriage told nobody failed three rounds of IUI, had not told nobody. And when I finally did open up about it, my secretary in our six person office was going through the exact same thing I was at the same time. So I think of what I could, what could have been, you know, in a good way, if I just would have opened up. So I've learned through all of this, the healing that happens for me when I open up about infertility, about job loss, um, things like that. And what I did with that and and to make people feel not so alone and just really be a support system for them. Amazing. Wow. Thank you for taking us through all of that um, because there's so much I want to touch on. (laughs) I hope I can remember it all. It's a lot. (laughs) But you know what? um, I'm so sorry for your loss, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. um, I'm so glad that you've been able to um, bounce back. And I was just going to comment on your resiliency through all of this. It seems like not once in your dialogue that you just shared, did you ever say that you were kicking and screaming? And I'm sure there were moments of that, but you still accepted, maybe is a good word, where you were at. And I have to ask, when it came down to your um, advocacy efforts for infertility, so you were a nurse or a nurse practitioner before this before your infertility happened, right? So what was it like for you being on that side of the system? You kind of alluded to gaps and things like that. Did you ever imagine that that's what it was like being on the other side for a patient or for someone who was going through infertility? No, you know, an infertility is such a unique diagnosis is what I'm discovering. There's really there is some guidelines, right? Like there's guidelines and there's ways and things to do it. But at some point I call it, it turns into like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what happens. And so then, and I felt something within me wasn't right. Ended up getting endometriosis as a diagnosis, which is still frustrating. There's still so much advancement that needs to happen with, Mm -hmm. with that disease and understanding. And, you know, the thing too, it's like, I found frustrating is like, I was going to acupuncture and it was like, not really received by a clinic. My second clinic was like given it in their clinic, the other clinic, you know, so it's like, 
there is this gap that happens as well. Let's just call it Eastern and Western medicine. Mm -hmm. And infertility is one area where patients are wanting and doing, whether you like it or not, Eastern and Western medicine together. They are seeing a natural path, or they are taking supplements, they are doing acupuncture, they are doing mindset work. So it's like, that's where I come in and help kind of marry them together and just even validating patients. Like this, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things I do in my day-to-day practice is validate patients. This sucks. You need to be heard. I'm sorry. How do you feel? And I put them back in control of their healthcare because I felt so out of control. I never felt confident until the end when we, when we kind of did some changes and that my healthcare provider knew what was going on with me. And that was scary. Mm-hmm. And there's times like I would went in for things and I don't even tell them I'm a healthcare provider right away. Cause I feel like that maybe changes how I'm treated. Like yeah. things could get missed. So I tried to even share that, but it was, it was hard for me feeling unstable, unbalanced, uncertain, let alone for somebody who doesn't even like to maybe walk into a clinic or into a hospital. And now you're having ultrasounds and blood work left and right. It's just a very intimidating space. You're already emotionally unsteady when you enter a reproductive clinic, because you've probably done some things ahead of time, maybe with your family practice, your OB, you've tried everything under the sun that you've Googled, which that's one of my main things I say, stop Googling, come to me, like, don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're ready. Um, 61% of women don't share with their friends and family. They're going through this. Like there is a, it's extremely traumatic. Tell me more about that. That's, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, especially for yourself too. Again, you're a provider and you're also on the recipient end dealing with this chronic issue. So why are women not talking about it? Like, what is there a stigma behind it? What What is it? Like, I, I mean, I'm just thinking over the course of my life and, um, you know, even my own mom, like my mom had delivered a stillborn child and we don't really talk about it. Like, or, it, you know, we know it happened, but we don't really discuss it. And I, I really don't know how it impacts her to this day. But I, I do feel like we kind of brush over miscarriages and, you know, we kind of think it's normal in a way um, that, it, you know, if it happens, it happens. And and uh, like, that's just kind of ha- my perspective. But So I can understand why people don't open up about it at the same time. But yeah, what was your Absolutely. experience like? Or Yeah, I got goosebumps as you were talking about it. So one of the, there is this stigma. There's a stigma behind it, right? AIDS, the reproductive system, and involves sex. Like, well, why are we talking about that? Like... Mm-hmm. We don't get into people's intimate lives and details with the miscarriage and all in the stillborns and all that. It's almost like an invisible loss, right? There's no, there's no, we never met this person. And I hate the word chemical pregnancy. I think there's a movement behind changing that. I'm like a chemical pregnancy. I'm sorry. Was I pregnant? Yes. That's a baby. That's a life. Was Mm -hmm. I not, you know, like there's no like fake chemical have terms that kind of get, yeah, there's like terms that get in the way of, of acceptance and and feelings too. Um, We never saw the baby, right? Like, so we didn't actually physically, not necessarily we, but others around us never had a connection, visual, maybe they weren't at the ultrasound, like we were as a couple, you know, and, and seeing that heartbeat and then losing that. Mm -hmm. And there's no casket. There's no ceremony. There's no flowers. There's no food. There's none of that, right? And I think that's where we need to flip the script and start acknowledging people that when they have a miscarriage, they are in a that that's a loss because I don't know about others listening who've had miscarriage, but when I saw that positive pregnancy test, 
within hours almost, I was like reshifting my focus and brain in the next nine months, maybe of my life or the next three, I was changing things, planning things, re, you know, envisioning how life was going to go. And it happens really quickly. And then to have that ripped away from you, maybe have an answer of why it happened. Maybe not. I, I also see women all the time that I help treat on telemedicine and coaching too, that have been through more, I mean, three, four, five, 10, 12 miscarriages. And, you know, it take, it's taking too long for their healthcare provider to do a workup. The new recommendation is two miscarriages. You do a huge reoccurrent miscarriage panel, like done end of discussion, do the panel and it's being missed. And so I think there's just also, you know, people start throwing, well, did you try? Well, at least this, at least that, did you try this? And they start spewing opinions and thoughts and ways to fix things and make it better at us when for infertility, especially like we've tried that, like, I'm sorry, but you cannot go get drunk, go on a vacation, relax your way out of it and put your feet up on a pillow. That's not going to work when you have a disease that's contributing to ovulation changes or lining changes that doesn't fix like disease processes. (laughs) So like there's, there's, you get these things kind of coming at you, um, judgment, fear of judgment. Like when my, when my employer, and this was not my thought, but this is what I hear a lot from patients and think differently of me. Will I not get this promotion? You know, things just like really emotionally take place that it's just easier if I don't talk about it. And if I say nothing, And in reality, that's suppressing so many emotions. And it's maybe we don't have to tell our our place of work, but it's finding safe people to confide in that is important. I was just going to say, I can't imagine holding all of that loss inside, you know, whether it's one miscarriage or it's a dozen. I just can't imagine what that must feel like. And it, it goes without saying, I would think that it would shift you know, your mental health in some way, like you're going to grieve, you're going to go through things. And I I mean, I I just hope that this podcast helps to bring a little more awareness and a little bit more of those real conversations between women, especially um, in discussing what they're going through personally, if they feel safe to do so, as you said, without fear of, you know, job loss or or things like that, right? Because, in a way, people feel like there's a ramification behind it as if you had control over the situation. And if anything, I want to empower them. Like if you're Mm -hmm. not being heard by a provider, there's plenty more out there. I advocate for second opinions all the time. I had a slight negative situation in the beginning with my miscarriage and it wasn't with my main provider. It was with someone within her office. Done. She said, we're done here. You're going to go see reproductive endocrinology. Um, it's advocating. If you feel something isn't right with your body, it's not. You listen to that and you keep asking or finding someone who will listen to you, who will hear you out, who will not, even, even a healthcare provider that won't judge you mm-hmm. and think something's not right. There's somebody out there. And if there's not, I bet I know them. I'll help you find them. I don't care where you live. Like I will make sure you have good hands, you know, helping you, even if it's just a miscarriage workup from your OB, that can go missed a lot too. Things get over. Oh, you're having a, oh, it's okay. If you're, you know, 28 and then you're 35 days and then one month or 25, that's not okay. actually. Mm -hmm. So I will even hear people coming from their OBs or family practice saying, I was told this is normal. I do a workup and they're full-blown PCOS patients. And so it's just like, trust me, there's people out there that will listen, that will do the workup 
that will hear you and follow what you want, what's best for your body. Amazing. So you are strongly an advocate, like through your practice, it's just embedded, right? Because sometimes yes, it comes, sometimes I do see that in providers, I don't want to say it's detachment or anything like that, because I don't really know what it is. But sometimes I just don't see that advocacy piece. You know, if you like, for example, maybe you could walk me through this. I mean, we don't know everything, right? We get right. stumped, we, we can't figure things out for everybody sometimes. So if you are in that position, and I'm sure maybe you have been over the course of your career, how do you put your pride aside, your ego aside, put the patient first, the client first, and help them find like the answers? Like you said, I, I am a huge yeah. believer of my patient's subjective. If they're telling me something isn't right, I really... Like I take that as biblical, <laughs> like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I, I trust that they, they know that something isn't right. And, but I don't always know the answer. So that's where, you know, that pursuit comes in and that collaboration and partnership between myself and the patient takes place. Um, so how can you walk us through that? Like, if a, a patient's feeling something's not right, maybe they're feeling also unheard along the way, or you yourself don't know what's going on medically, how do you kind of advocate and still help them? Yeah. So a lot of what we'll do is craft questions together. Hmm. So I'll sit with them and help them write their question out. So they'll be on a call with me, for example, and they'll have their portal or their, you know, whatever charting system open that they contact their provider to. And together we'll rephrase it. That kind of puts them in control. One of them is um, I do a lot of, um, I'm really big into this test called Receptiva. Mm -hmm. It's a newer test out there. Um, it, it's especially important for those with miscarriage, failed treatments, et cetera. And so a lot of times we'll say, I would like the receptiva test done. Do you perform that test here? Or do you know where I can get this done at? It's not, can I have the receptiva test done? It's rephrasing it mm. so that they are in the control seat of, I would like, I would like this done. Do you do it? And then if they don't, you know, if they say something and, and what it's worked actually in the past like month, it's worked every single time. Every girl's got it. That's asked for it. So, <laughs> awesome. and that's, it's a simple, like if, if you don't do it, do you know someone who can? Yeah. And even if they don't, we will find a, a resource for them. And then we usually will attach. So for example, this test, it has studies for healthcare providers. So in the message, we will link if you're not familiar with it, here's what I'm referring to. And we copy and paste the link directly to the articles and research behind the test and send it away. That's the mm -hmm. easiest thing. I have an amazing, I have several clinics I work with. I pick that phone up and I call those reproductive doctors or OBs. My OB, we text. Um, yeah. So if it's like an awesome. OB question, um, I, I'm fortunate. North Dakota is a little different. I feel like I am totally comfortable picking up the phone and calling any provider at any time. Um, I refer left and right, you know, like hematology is another area I refer to a lot. I'm trying my, my big vision and my big goal. This is real big. I don't know if you're ready for this, but it's, it's I'm so excited to hear it. recreate and create a multidisciplinary care approach to reproductive health. Let's just use diabetic care. For example, they have, you know, the podiatrist, the dietitian, you know, the nurse checking in on them and their doctor and their family care provider. Why can't we create something like that? That's accepted and viewed for reproductive health. It's creating a team approach. It is the OB. It is the reproductive doc. It is the primary care. Perhaps let's call me the coach or the primary care person as well. It's the mental health counselor. Heck it's the acupuncturist. 
it, if someone wants to see a natural path because our care team isn't comfortable with supplements, that acupuncturist has a master's degree and they're very familiar with interactions with supplements and things. Let's, let's add them in too. It's letting the patient create the team mm-hmm. and us working together collaboratively to like enhance that patient's experience, but most importantly, bring them success sooner. Cause I truly believe there's, if we work together as a team and not against each other in this area, especially we can bring results sooner, but we're going to have a very satisfied patient because <laughs> totally. they are just not being heard sometimes. And right. now nav- they're Googling. It's like tragic out there. Yeah. The, the amount of Googling they're doing and they know more about healthcare results, labs. I mean, they are like minor, they have a degree, a minor degree in, in reproductive health when they walk away because they've had to educate themselves so much because they're not getting the education up front when they start or mm-hmm. as they go into it. And so I just really would love to like recreate that atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, they they really put their health in someone, and I'm speaking in general, in, in the provider's hands yeah. um, in a lot of ways. And um, and that's a lot like that, that. That's very disempowering, I would think, without even knowing it, right? Mm-hmm, uh, because you trust your providers, you trust that they that they have your best interests at heart, and they do. But not all of them know either themselves how this right. how the system works, how to refer out what yep. they may need. And you're totally speaking my language when you ex- explained all of that about the interprofessional approach to care. And I think, you know, I work in hospital, and I'm fortunate enough to work in hospital. And what keeps me there is the interprofessional approach is, is the the fact that I can refer and I'm in hospital um, to anybody that that would be um, appropriate for, for my patient, for example, and I have that accessibility of doing so. I think in the outpatient, patient um, scenario, it's a lot different. And and it's a a different um, mindset around it, like how to put that team together, unless they're in the same hub, like a family health team or something in one hub. So why do you think, and I mean, I have my own opinion on this, but why do you think... You, we, we could talk about anything here, Tara. Yeah. You, you said it. I, you uh, you put it in writing. <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so why do you think we haven't gone in that direction yet where providers can work together and surround our patient and, and you know, create a team approach to care? I think we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I think our lives are really busy And we're struggling to just stay afloat within our day-to-day practice. So taking time to perhaps read an article, attend a meeting, watch a webinar, um, read, you know, read something, you know, is just the time is not there. And it's something I hope we we kind of all fell out of like even attending continuing education. And so that's one area like I personally am going to actually be presenting with the American Association of Nurse Practitioners on Infertility 101, because there's like, even just to get the conversation going at that level, Mm -hmm. let alone, I think as providers within the field, we need to be going to conferences together. And so if you're, let's just use acupuncture again, like come to the ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, you know, conferences, and then ASRM, you can meet with them and educate them there. There just needs to be more collaboration at a like an education level mm-hmm. because you and I probably don't even have time to sit and read stuff all the time. But mm-hmm. if a patient presents me with it, I'm reading it and it's, it's staying up to date too. Like just basic up to date, right? Like I think there's still this huge gap in 
three miscarriages is actually not anymore the number. It's two. Like it's something as Mm -hmm. simple as that. Like I've had patients come to me bawling because they were told my provider said after go home and have a third one and then we'll do a workup. It's like, what? Like you cannot, it's, it's thinking before we speak too. These are very emotional patients. We are not talking about a sore on the foot. We are talking about a loss of as a female, what our body is supposed to be doing and it's not doing it. We're talking about marriages at home that are probably not what they were prior to trying to have a baby. We're talking about hopes and dreams being affected. You know, it's not like I sprained my ankle and, and, you know, type Mm -hmm. of things. It's just packed. Like there's just a lot packed into to, to reproductive health, I think. But I think it's just um, overall, we don't know what we don't know. And we need to be open and receptive and willing to learn and hear more about what's going on in an area. And that's probably all of medicine nowadays with mm-hmm. the world. Like, let's just be open. Let's not judge. Let's not judge our patients. Let's not judge each other as providers. You know, with clinics too, there's not a lot of reproductive clinics everywhere. There's only one in North Dakota, one in South Dakota. There's a handful in in Minnesota. It's a competition thing too, you know? And so there's that going on, that whole back and forth. But like with fertility treatments specifically, there's protocols. And every clinic has different protocols based on a provider who created them. So Mm -hmm. it's like a recipe. Everyone's got a little bit of a different recipe. Every clinic has a different recipe. And so that creates a whole dynamic where patients have the ability and free will to jump around, travel. I have patients went overseas to Turkey, India, all over different countries they're willing to go to cost. They can go travel Turkey for a month and do treatment for less than, than they can in the States. So there's mm-hmm. this cost barrier again mm-hmm. that, that's there too. It's not like I just go in and get work done and it's covered. Mm-hmm. I got to refinance the house, sell the car, sell the motorcycle. There's just so much that goes there. There's the just so much. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. Just- and it's just knowing, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And it's knowing who to refer people to yes. and when and to when to create those connections without overwhelm, right? Like what is the priority yes. at that time? The other part you touched on was com- competitiveness, and I, that's something I believe is part of it, uh, especially when you're dealing with the private sectors. You know, they have to make a living. It's a business. I get it. Um, but I I also think that we could kind of allow for both to happen. And imagine the impact even that way if you do collaborate, if you do, um, rather than just stay so siloed, right? Absolutely. 100%. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a win-win for all. So you um, also advocated for insurance coverage, right, for infertility um, in your state. And can you just walk us through a little bit, like as a healthcare professional who's looking to be kind of advocate a little more? Like I think, you know, we talked about patient advocacy at that level, at that interpersonal level, but overall change and reform of healthcare delivery that way. Um, how did you can you just like you just did it like how did you do it though <laughs> like I mean I, I know this could be its own podcast but could you touch on some things like I, I don't know Tara about you but for me I'm very um I'm all about like energy and, and laws of the universe in the sense that you know if I put negativity out it, negativity is going to come back and sometimes I see people in the the advocacy space being so negative that I I feel like they're getting nowhere and they're just, you know, spinning. And it's, and sometimes I don't want to be a part of it because it it's, it's not the message that 
aligns with me, right? And it's not even the words, the words that are spoken might be, but the energy behind it and um, the negativity behind it, or the hostility behind it. Just yes. So, so how did you how did you go about your advocacy efforts? And can you give us some tips on that if we're in that position? Yes, you bring up a great point. One of the, one of the things I do. So we're every other year we meet, but one of the I have to energetically protect myself mm-hmm. the moment I go on the website. I get triggered by like the website. You're you're very there's a very dynamic energy shift that happens in that arena in general. It's extremely emo. Okay. If you are personally attached to the situation like I am, okay, right. let's just use infertility. Versus when I go and talk to them. So I was um I just came out of my president position for the North Dakota Nurse Practitioner Association, but I do legislative liaison work for them now. Okay. I could talk to them, walk out of that capital, go on my day, carry on and not be impacted if I'm, and which, which I'm still extremely passionate about nurse practitioner and healthcare issues I talk about. But when you are personally affected, mm-hmm. impacted and having patients, I, I mean, I, I'm full of patients. Or I represent someone who can, I'm as one person, when I walk in and talk about infertility, I am impacting and representing thousands of people who are in a vulnerable state and cannot come forward. So there's more emotion attached to it from a personal perspective than there is necessarily when I talk about nurse practitioner stuff. So there, I, to validate what you just said is the point of that. It is a very, very um, vulnerable state to be in. And you're going to mm-hmm. get feedback that is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Like from either whatever topic and they're talking about, I tell myself, they don't know what they don't know. But at some point I'm like, Hey, who lives in district 28? Cause they got to vote this person out. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it gets down. That is where I'm at nowadays with things like you better be careful. Cause I know people in every district, <laughs> probably in the state and now South Dakota, I'm working my way into like, I'll be at your little campaign parade. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah. like now I'm getting like charged, but um, yeah. in the beginning, day yeah. one, yeah. I simply reached out to my own district legislators. I called and I emailed them. I said, here's my issue. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And they took, they took me from there. In addition, I did two things. So I did that. And I reached out to a national organization, Resolve, who had been doing this for several years with other states and they helped me. So collaboratively from a national for, I could almost think there's almost every disease or thing you could probably think of. There's going to be a national organization in place okay. that is very familiar with how to do that kind of work. They will help walk you through step-by-step step the wording. I got way more involved in actual bill writing than the average person would, but that's because of my Health policy fellowship. Right. Yeah, exactly. That I didn't know how it would help me in the future. That projected me forward into a position of knowledge, understanding that others don't have. So, with that being said, I also want to say if anyone's listening, you don't have zero, zero political knowledge or background to have a voice. And so, what we do as a nurse practitioner organization is we host a breakfast and we invite nurse practitioners to come and mingle with legislators and just have an open conversation and keep it really casual mm-hmm. and laid back and then set that, you know, Hey, share a story. They want to hear like the most important thing is your local legislator or representative wants to hear from you. So as small as North Dakota is, once again, it means something coming from me, but what flip votes last minute, 
was their constituents in their inbox because they vote for them, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw people flipping at the last minute pro for us. We wow. more than doubled our backing this last this last session. So it's oh. it's knowing also it's not going to be instant, and that's frustrating. Federal level, I go. I'm going to DC in two weeks again. Um, I go every year to talk with our congressmen and, and representatives out there about national issues affecting nurse practitioners. And it's just keeping that conversation going. Mm-hmm. It's following up. It's not giving up when there's something that you're that you see an issue with. Don't keep sweeping it under the rug. Like find the team, the organization, and the right people to keep pushing it. And in North Dakota, we've we've had they're really pro nurse practitioners and medical community as a whole working together. And so it's not uncommon for us to just work side by side nowadays on those issues. It's for me, educating them on, and I, this is a real story. Ready for this one? Mm-hmm. When a legislator emails their constituent and says, I do not support IVF, just like I do not support my wife sleeping with another male to conceive. It is having a timeout with myself personally, because I'm ready to jump in a car at that point and drive to his house <sighs> to educate him. Yeah. And it is re, it is literally educating and dialing in on, okay, we got to back the education train up. But that constituent was like, you know, that's hard for them to want to reach out again too, right? Like they Mm -hmm. put themselves once again in a vulnerable position. They're met with an affair being compared to IVF, like stop. Yeah, that's true. And so it's just, like I said, it's knowing that it's not instant, keep going. If there's something on your heart and there's passion and advocacy there, find a group and even one other person and reach out to your local person first and that national organization and keep going. Like they know already I'll be there till I'm 80 <laughs> if I have to. Like I'm like, they, they say it in like committee meetings. Like you do know Tara's not going away, right? There's like a recording of this. It was hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was like, Oh, the point got across. Like, like <laughs> I love how keep educating. <laughs> I love how you can kind of laugh about that too. I can now, but I'm very thankful at this point that they yeah. meet every other year because for three months I am in a very exhausted, right. mentally, physically. Um, I walk into that building sometimes and it's just like energy zapping. You know, I got to do a lot mm-hmm. of self care during that time and support those patients that are there beside me, speaking out for the first time ever. It is so amazing though to see patients come forward and testify I almost I get weepy talking about it sometimes like how brave they are and even to write a letter if Mm -hmm. I had 50 some people come forward in one month and submit letters of testimony and share their story it's so vulnerable and brave of them and so just to see that gives me the drive to keep going there's it's, it's bigger than me this is bigger than me I'm just one little annoying person who well, it was your, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you're, like, I love that your, your mission pulls you that way. Like it is beyond, like it is bigger than you yeah, overall, than- but you've really unlocked the door in a way for people to share their voice now and to, because like you said, in the beginning of the show, 
you know, people hold all of this in and they think yep. they're just supposed to take it on themselves. And so just like, I can't imagine how powerful it is for them to write a letter now to their local, um, their local constituents and, and whatnot of reaching out and sharing their story in that way or verbally testifying in that way. Like that's, that's huge. It like is. you should be it's, super proud of yourself. Oh, thank like, you. I also suck at receiving compliments. Um, it's amazing. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think think that um, when you graduated, became a nurse practitioner, was practicing as a nurse practitioner, um, did you ever think that you would be where you are today? And speaking professionally, we don't have to touch on personal, but just even speaking professionally, did you think this is where you would be? No, my classic line was, I don't do politics, right? Right. Like, <laughs> don't do that, right? Ugh, like That's so negative and people don't like you when you talk about it, but this is different. Yeah. I want to like, preface that this is not politics, right? This is not the angry conversations happening around supper tables. This is people's livelihood and literally financial, mental, physical, spiritual well-being impacted in one disease. And so no, the answer is no, it just happened. And it's something that like, I went to, I went to actually a really political, I went, my master's and doctorate degree was from George Washington. So people assumed that I was very political mm. and yes, that was part of our learnings and empowering that happened at school, but never did I think that that was what I was in. I just went to a really good, great school in Washington, DC. That's just, it was an adventure in my life that I did, you know? And so, but it's, it, it, it did lo and behold, come become part of who I am. And I just think, you know, if you see something wrong, speak up, like, and that's mm -hmm. just what all of us should be. You don't have to be into politics or health policy. Like if a door's squeaking at your workplace, like that's a bad example. Say you could start there. That's yeah. annoying. Like, why do you want to yeah. keep the door squeak? Like, just it's, tell the maintenance man I, they're squeaking. I love that though, because it starts, it could start there, yes. right? In terms of finding your voice, um, it could totally start there. Because I could see myself letting things like that go. But yes. at the same time, it's like, well, no, maybe I should speak up about it because that'll exactly. strengthen me for other things. Um, so as much as your personal story um, has fueled your mission, how much of this do you owe as well or attribute to your, your patients? Like how, how much do they fuel you to keep doing this a lot I got goosebumps as you said that again um I use I still say I look at my son and that fuels me too mm -hmm. like everyone should get the chance at that um and not have that taken away for financial reasons most importantly um but my patients they are the next they are the ne next thing it goes once again it's not even me it's them it's my son it's looking at you know, thinking of my nieces and my nephews, mm -hmm. um, and their future and like, they should not have to go through this in a way that I did. It's like creating that difference for them. And, you know, it's seeing these patients that are just after, you know, I've got it a lot lately. It's like, they, I meet with them one time and I just hear them. I listen to them and follow it. And they're like, Tara, you gave me hope again. I just met with you one time. Mm -hmm. Like really, you know, it's the they are the driving force, and especially with the nonprofit, seeing the the groups meet and our support groups um, online, and it's seeing those stories in there and failed treatments. Guys, I didn't get a positive pregnancy test again, and due to finances, I don't know how we're going to do this again. Or 
you know, man, this is just really taxing on me. Has anyone been through this or where do you do like, just seeing that conversation happen that the support is there for other diseases. It needs to be there for infertility too. Mm-hmm. And so that is a big thing that keeps pushing me forward too. It's like, I know what happens with other, other diseases as a medical professional, whether it's cost access, um, support resources. I know all of that. So that drives me too. like, why is this group being treated differently or left out when it's actually a disease? It's not elective. It's not a, th- it's, it's a disease. Mm-hmm. So that really keeps me pushing forward. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that it, I think other healthcare professionals have been confronted with things either personally themselves too, and have not yet even found their own voice and their own struggles. Cause we're only human, right? And we're human before we are there for somebody else necessarily too. Yes. And so like, I, I just think it's amazing how you've been able to transform that and help others and in, in recognize the gap that's there. And I feel like as healthcare providers, that's part of our advocacy is to, for me, it was communication uh, with my with my dad's journey and recognizing that there was a huge gap there overall, um, especially in the chronic care population. But yeah, for you, it's uh, it's infertility and women's health, reproductive health, and I think that we just need more of us to pop up like that. And yes, you know what I'm saying. And I, I just think we could create a more sustainable healthcare community. Right. You brought up a really good point. It I and I think I said it maybe earlier. I did not open up about it right away. Mm -hmm. And so I often have people come forward. If you are like going through treatment or in the middle of it, like if you even can get yourself to write a paragraph on it, you have gone far. It's though I see them coming forward and wanting to help more once they're out of it, they're Mm -hmm. done or they're taking a break. It's super hard. Like no matter what, like you said, no matter what disease you're going through to be the voice when you're in the middle of it that's where I encourage people just to like put the hand out and let someone grab it and speak on behalf for them and mm-hmm. help navigate them through it. That's, that might be, you know, that varies, you know, maybe it's like a caseworker or a family member or a friend or a coach, you know, somebody or something mm-hmm. to help speak when you're not strong enough to do it yourself. Um, and know that like, I I encourage, like, for example, my fourth grade teacher came forward, her child at the time was 18. And she came forward and did advocacy work with me for legislation versus a person who's probably still giving themselves shots in the bathroom. You know, so it's Mm -hmm. it's realizing even if you've gone through something in the past, Mm -hmm. please come back, we need you to like, now, like you may have, oh, I, I went through that a long time ago. No, no, I need you. I yeah. need you like oh, and anybody wow. needs you whether any cancer you know name a disease we need you even if you're done with your journey we need you to step forward and help the collab the rest of the community come forward yeah. and collaborate yeah I love that you just gave me goosebumps like the last five minutes <laughs> everything you said is kind of giving me goosebumps <laughs> I'm not gonna lie and what I love about that is that I understand that we shouldn't stay stuck like in our story like I know but that what you said there and I know some people don't want to go back there right so right. I, I can empathize with that right. they don't want to go through that pain again yes um, but I think if like you said if you can prevent somebody else or make it a little bit easier on the next person to go through it I think that's just yeah. what life is all about then that's where you where you find that energy from and if it's not for you right now okay that's but fine. but my door is always open you know Absolutely. right like if you want to yeah. come back around and, and share your support or show your support 
Um, it's, you know, Turning your we're always here for others. That's how I always say yes. it. You, the, the, the option is there. And when it, you choose to hurt, turn your hurt into hope for others. Yeah. Beautiful. I'd like to end on that note, Tara. <laughs> You've yeah. been amazing. So tell me, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you personally for coaching or um, just for support that way, or also just for guidance, even as healthcare providers, how you can help other providers? Yes, as healthcare provider. Absolutely. So on Instagrams where I'm really active at Tara B Fertility, um, my website, terabfertility.com. I'm on Facebook. You'll, you'll catch me on TikTok occasionally. That's a hit or miss if I'm on there. But <laughs> I have a podcast too, Hopeful Hints and Infertility Podcast, where I give little short hints every week. Um, but yeah, Instagram is my inbox is me. I always say it's open all the time for anything. Like I said, if you're a professional, just wanting to reach out even and bounce things off. I mm-hmm. love collaborating and having open dialogue even um, for that as well. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your energy and for just holding holding space for people who who need that right now. So thank thank you you. for everything. Keep in touch. Okay. Yes. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.